Okay, good morning, Rabbi Sai. We've arrived at Simon Tov Reish Peivov. A small introduction to the first Seif. This Simon looks at the Halachas of Tanis Esther. There's a little cross lines with something that was touched upon in Hilchas Tanis. In Simon Tov Kufayin Gimel, we spoke about the general rule that Botlo Megillas Tanis. Megillas Tanis was nisbatil, it was cancelled, it was nullified, which means there was a list of days given in Megillas Tanis, which are sort of semi festive days, on which the, the rule is that it is forbidden to fix a tarnis. A list of festive days on which there's no tarnis. And it was also said over there that those days not only do you not fix the tarnis on those days, but also you don't fix the tarnis on the day before and the day after. Their festive nature sort of spreads over to the day before and the day after. Now we learnt over there that Botlo Megillus Tarnis, all those days, that was all cancelled out, so all those days that are listed there, you can have a tarnis, no problem. An exception was mentioned over there, which is one of the days listed in Megillus Tarnis, two of the days, is Chanukah and Purim. They're also on that list. Now, as far as Chanukah and Purim are concerned, Megillus Tarnis was not nullified, as far as they're concerned. The Isar of Tarnis still remains on Chanukah and on Purim. Now, having said this, there's also a rule said over there that you don't make a Tarnis Lifnehem and you don't make a Tarnis Laachrehem. The Mekatan is not before and not after. So what needs, to be dis- what needs to be discussed over here before we can come to Tanis Esther is, is one allowed to have a Tanis the day before Purim? Is, is the rule that when we say Megillah's Tanis was Botla but not regarding Hanukkah and Purim, how does that apply to the day before and the day after? So on that, the Shulchan comes and tells us that the Hanukkah or Purim it is actually absolutely permitted to have a fast on the day before and on the day after because although we said Chanukah and Purim are an exception to the general rule and as far as they are concerned was not this battle but that only applies to the Chanukah and the Purim itself but as regards the day before and the day after Chanukah and Purim are no different to any other day in Megillus Tanis and it's Halachas word this battle and therefore a Tanis is allowed if the day before Hanukkah, the day after Hanukkah, the day before Purim, and the day after Purim. You're saying that when Nicholas Tanis was enforced, there was no Tanis According to the Shulchan Aruch's approach, yeah. We'll see there's another approach in which the Mishnah is Miramis to. The Mishnah mentions that some disagree, the opinion of the Bach, based upon some other Rishonim, who maintain that in fact, <laughs> no, the setup is not as we've, de- as we've described it now. And in fact, As far as, as far as Hanukkah and Purim are concerned, in essence, the halachas of Megillus Tanis still remain, and therefore, in essence, there's a prohibition of Tanis before, there's a prohibition of Tanis after, and Tanis Este itself is a sort of special takona, it's a special takona that Hazal instituted despite the general rules for a particular certain individual reason which applies only to Tanis Este itself and not to anything else. And according to this approach, a Tanis is forbidden before and after Hanukkah and Purim, with the exception of Tanis Esther. So you can't fast on Erev Hanukkah, you can't fast on the day after Hanukkah. And Mr. Burr says that one should, one should take this opinion into account. That's, that's, so there's not Tanis Yafi? Yeah, 100%. And even uh, another practical thing Mr. Burr suggests, we will probably, probably mention somewhere along the line, that there's a minute of Sam Yechidim to have a Tanis on Erev Rishchodesh. Erev Rishchodesh in Kippur Kotten, and some people actually fast. It's a day of extra sort of slicha chuba 
Some people fast on Erev Rosh Chodesh, so there was a minhag of some. What happens? Erev Rosh Chodesh Teves. Erev Rosh Chodesh Teves falls always in the middle of Hanukkah, so you can't fast. So there was a minhag of some to bring the fast earlier to Erev Hanukkah. So Mishnah Bura says, you know, people who have that minhag, we're not going to tell them to change their minhag. But if you don't have that minhag, don't take it on the Chatchil, because it's itself is still questionable. Very nice, you've moved it off from Hanukkah, but you've moved it to Erev Hanukkah, which is also questionable whether a fast is permitted at that time or not. Moving on to Seif Beis. Mis'anim biyud gimel ba'adar. We have, we fast on the 13th of Adar. The reason for this fast is because this was the day when Mordechai and Esther fought against the enemies of the Jewish people at that time. And it was a special day also of, of davening and asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for mercy. And we find that when, when the Am Yisrael fought against Amalek in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, it's recorded in Chazal that they fasted on that day, in order that Hashem should have Rachmim on them, and certainly they did the same in the times of Mordechai and Esther as well. And in order to remember that fast, we, we too fast on the day before Purim, on Yud Gimel Adar. Mishbura also mentions that the Ma'aril actually learned somewhat less on this day because it's a day which is a very busy day getting ready the Tzor the Purim there's a lot of things to do to make sure you have in the supplies for Mishlach Monas and for the and for the Su'udah so actual wording is that the Maril didn't say didn't say his Shia didn't say his Bahaloch didn't say his Shia Mishmur explains that actually to get involved in sort of learning that's it was a sort of yeshiva type learning without any fixed fixed amount of time, how long it would carry on for, or how it didn't have a fixed gavul. So that type of learning has to be careful to also leave time for the Tzor Purim. It doesn't come to the exclusion of having a regular fixed shir, which has got a time when it starts and a time when it finishes, and you'll certainly have plenty of time left in the day to also be involved in the Tzor Purim. Such a shir shouldn't be cancelled. The Imchal Purim, now if Purim happens to fall on a Sunday, like it does this year, then we bring the fast earlier to a Thursday, even though in essence a, it is permitted to fast on Erev Shabbos, like we even sometimes do. We had it, I think, this year. And our Yeah, it's the only one that can actually fall on that day. So you could have said to yourself, we're going to bring the Tanis Esther earlier. Let's bring it early to a Friday. Friday is allowed to fast on a Friday. But the Mishnah explains that we, we prefer to avoid having a fast on a Friday because the Torah of the fast and the extra tefillahs do somewhat interfere with the Shabbos preparation. And therefore we only have a fast on a Friday when it fell on a Friday. But if we're anyway moving the fast earlier, then we move it earlier to a Thursday. Thursday, Ramah. The Tan is there, Eino Now this Tan is, is not an obligation in the same sense that the other fasts are are an obligation. The other fasts, <coughs> obviously, I'm not talking about Yom Kippur and Tishabah, but even the other fasts have a mention in Divrei Kabbalah, have a mention in the Nevi'im. The Tanis Esther doesn't have any such mention in the Nevi'im. It's a minhag of Am Yisrael. It's obviously a minhag that has to be kept, but it isn't obligatory in the same sense. And therefore, in times of Tzorech, one can be, in times of need, one can be more lenient about this fast. For example, ladies who are pregnant or nursing, it was mentioned elsewhere in the Ramah that on a regular fast, although the truth is that in essence, even all the regular fasts, in essence, they're not obligatory even for, they're not obligatory for pregnant ladies and nursing ladies. Nevertheless, there was a minhag 
that pregnant ladies and nursing ladies also fasted. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, it's absolutely clear, yes, 100%. And even, and even with the exclusion of Tishba, but at the moment I'm discussing the, the other fasts. Asara Bateves, Shivasa Batamuz, and Son Gedalia. So, so those fasts, in essence, they're not obligatory for pregnant ladies and nursing ladies. Nevertheless, there are more mentioned in Minhag that, uh, unless it's particularly difficult for them, they should still fast. However, having said all that background, in Tanis Esther it's not like that. Tanis Esther is more lenient and they don't need to fast at all. Oh, oh likewise, one can be lenient for somebody who is, somebody who is a choyle, somebody who is ill. Or Hashulchan actually questions this line of the Ramah because it's difficult to understand. Because in all fasts, again, in all of the more lenient fasts, not Yom Kippur and Tishbab, but in the other fasts, the fast is not incumbent upon a choyle. There's no takana of a fast for a choyle. By a choyle we mean somebody who is... But just not, not feeling so great, but he's, he's ill. Ill in the sense that he has to lie in bed. Yeah, not, not Sakana, no, no Sakana, but he's ill, properly ill. So, difficult to understand what the Ramah wants with this over here. But the Chiddush, which it does lie here, is in the coming line. Even people who simply have a pain in their eyes, i.e., this is what we would consider a sort of minor ailment. He's not ill, he doesn't have to lie in bed because he's ill. He's got, Something troubling him, something bothering him. He's got an ailment, a minor ailment. She in mitztarim, if the mitztarim harbe, if they're very bothered by it, least under they do not need to fast. Vifru acharkach, and they should pay back the fast afterwards. Mishmuel explains that this requirement to pay back the fast afterwards that applies only to this last case of the people who have the minor ailment doesn't doesn't apply to the pregnant pregnant women and nursing women because for them the fast was never instituted in the first place. Somebody's got a minor ailment. We're just giving him a sort of dispensation. Okay, we'll let you off, but you should pay back the fast on another occasion. And the reason why the paying back helps is because, in essence, this fast was never really fixed for any particular, any particular day. As we've said in the first place, the entire thing is a minhag. And anywhere sort of in the, in, the, in the region of Purim is, in essence, a good enough time to, for, to fulfill this fast, to have this fast. So if you didn't have it on Erev Purim, you could have it another day somewhere in Ador. So there is an idea of paying it back. Having said these leniencies, of Shar Briams continues the Shar Briam, other healthy people, should not separate from the community. One shouldn't be quick to just say, oh, well, it's just a minag and I'm not going to bother. No, chas v'shalem, without any particular reason for a dispensation, one should keep this up. The in Chal Purim B'yom if Purim falls on a Sunday, like it does this year, where we then bring the fast earlier to the Thursday, so it's what we call it's soim, which is nitre, where its halachas are somewhat more lenient. For cholboy bris mila, and somebody has a bris mila on that day, muta lechol al hamila, it is permitted to have a suudas bris mila and to eat. And on the Friday, yis anu the people who, the people who ate at that suudas bris will pay back the fast, even though, as we said, ideally we don't like a fast on a Friday, but here just for a few yechidim, we're allowed. We don't want to fix the. The fast for the entire tzibur on that day before the Yechidim, we do allow it. The Mishnah mentions an opinion who disagrees with the Ramad's position and says that no, we shouldn't be lenient like this to start allowing everybody to just come and eat at this Sudas Bris. Rather, better practice is to, is to fast and to have the Sudas Bris at night. Nevertheless, even, even according to the, more lenient, to the more stringent opinion, the actual people who are the, the craving of the Bris, the mother, the father, the Sanduk, the people who are directly involved in the bris, they do not need to fast from after the bris because the day of a bris is considered like their private relative.
and they don't have to fast. But as far as allowing other people to come and join in the Sudha, this stringent opinion says that one should not do so, rather one should have the Sudha at night. The bottom line, the Mishnah Bura does say that somebody who wishes to be lenient in accordance with the Ramah's ruling and allow everybody to eat may do so. There are people who fast in Chodesh Adar after Purim for three days. In memory of the actual Tanis of Esther Hamalka, who we know in the, in the Purim story, she and the people of Shushan fasted for three days before she entered Ahasuerus' private chamber. Now, Mishmur says it doesn't mean that we fast three days on the trot. That's we're probably beyond our koiches nowadays. What it means is that there were people who would fast a sheni chamishi b'sheni after Purim. Nevertheless, Orach Hashulchan mentions that he's never heard of anybody doing this nowadays, presumably because our, our koiches are not the same as people had once upon a time, and we don't go for extra fasts when there's no pressing reason. Mishmur also mentions over here the, the well-known halacha, Mishnitna Sadar Marbin Besimcha, and one practical ramification of this is that somebody who has <coughs> some dealings with a non-Jew and he has to go to be judged in some sort of court should push it off till Chodesh Adar since it's considered a good, a good model, a good time. Another point that Mr. Bru mentions over here is there is a concept of a Sibur accepting upon themselves a day of celebration like Purim when there's been some particular sorrow on the community and they've been saved. There's a, an idea that community can accept upon themselves a day of celebration every year and they can keep it in thank for the nace which happened to them and even a yochid who had experienced something can also accept upon himself and his family to keep the day as a day of celebration one very famous case is the Tosfus Yomtev Tosfus Yomtev of Yomtev Lippmann Heller he was, he was um, imprisoned by the authorities and he was about to be, about to be executed because they have some sort of trumped-up charge against him, and eventually, it was sort of nice, and they managed to managed to save him and to get him out, and he accepted the particular day as a yomta for him and his family for coming to So he chose it in Ador? What was no, it doesn't have to be Dafke in Ador. Punkt. Punkt. Because, it, because it's, called, it's called a Purim. This concept is called a Purim. So Purim of a Purim of a Yochid, or a Purim of a community, and that's what it's mentioned over here. Although, in essence, there's... The Shaykhus is more the, the general concept that, you know, when a Kodesh saved us from some threatening situation, we, we fix a day of Halal Vaidah. Okay, let's move on. Next, Semen Tafresh, Pei Zayin, Chiyuv Kriyas HaMegillah, the obligation of reading the Megillah. Chayav Adam Likris HaMegillah Balayla, Velachsalish Noisim The Megillah needs to be read twice. A person is obligated to read the Megillah once at night, and then once again to repeat it during the day. The reason we have to repeat it is just like in the times of Mordechai and Esther, Am Yisrael, Davon both at day and at night, ongoing, constant davening. So to remember their tzara and to remember the nays that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved us, we also repeat the halal vahidada, the thanksgiving that we give to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by reading the Megillah, we repeat it both by day and by night. Yeah, in essence, it's no, although we do it, like along with the Twilla, it's no way back yeah, connected to the Twilla. Yeah. When this happened, we didn't have even one time of it. it was True. There was no fixed Twilla at that time. Yeah. It was a very special... Uh, special Takon. Yeah. So the beginning of the night can be read the entire night. So that means from Tzitzakechovim up until Amot HaShacha. So although maybe normally we would do it at the beginning of the night, if for some reason somebody didn't do it then, it can be done the entire night up until Amot HaShacha.
But after that, it's too, after Amut HaShachar, it is already considered halachically day. It's too late for the nighttime Megillah, and you have lost the opportunity. V'shal Yom, the reading of the day is Mano Kal HaYom, can be done the entire day. Mehonit Sachamo, from sunrise ad Yom until the end of the day. But the Imkarah Misha Allah Amut HaShachar, if one read it from slightly earlier, from the time of Amut HaShachar, which is a little bit before Nate, that too is good enough for the Evid, yet someone has fulfilled one's obligation. Because we know this general concept, the mitzvahs that are to be done during the day are generally only done from, from Hanit Sachamo, because <coughs> if we would allow from, from Amut HaShachar, people might come to confusion and they might do it a little bit too early and end up doing the mitzvah when it's still really night time. So Chazal a little bit, they said, no, only to the mitzvah from Hanit Sachama. Nevertheless, halachically, in essence, from Amut HaShacha, the day has begun, it's day, and if one did the mitzvah then, one has fulfilled the chiyuv, and even, a little further, if one somebody has some difficulty, why for some reason he cannot read it from Hanit Sachama, he has to go somewhere, he's going to be taken from other activity, if there's no other choice, one may read the Megillah, even the Chathchila, from Amut HaShacha and onwards. Seif base. Bevatlim Talmud Torah, Lishmoya Megillah. One stops Talmud Torah in order to hear the Megillah. The Mishmur explains that not just in order to hear the Megillah. Of course, you stop learning in order to listen to the Megillah. You stop learning in order to fulfill any mitzvah. But the Chiddush over here is, we're going to see later on, that the, uh, the ideal way to read the Megillah is to read the Megillah in, pub- in a large public setting. It means if we'll take the sort of old-fashioned example of a little shtetl or a small town that's got one big central shul, that is where the Megillah should be, should be read, and that is where you should hear the Megillah. It, in the public shul along with everybody else. So even if you have a group of people who are learning together as a group, even if it's a large group, but it is a, at the end of the day, it is a private setting. They're learning together in a, in a house, in their own private place, whatever it might be. They should stop their learning. Not only should they stop their learning to read, but then they could stop their learning and just read it together where they are in their private setting. No, they should stop their learning and go to read the Megillah in the in the public shul, so as to fulfill the mitzvah of Megillah in its most ideal way. Mishmur has, nevertheless, having said this, although we're saying that Megillah should be read in a large public setting, we do not mean to say that every single shul in the town, in a town where there's many shuls, everybody has to leave their smaller shul to go to the largest shul in the town. That's not what we're saying. If you live, if you dive in a certain regular shul, which is a little smaller than the next door shul, we're not saying that everybody has to go to the larger shul for Kriya Samagila. What we are saying is that one should ideally join in hearing the Megillah in a public setting as opposed to a private setting. So if somebody has a, some sort of private minion in a house or something where you, know, you sort of have to be invited to come there, that is not an ideal place <coughs> To hear the Megillah, so there's some tzoyre, something like that. Obviously, one can do it, but the ideal, ideal place to hear the Megillah is in a public, in a public shul. And it, as we've said, it's to the extent that one is one is even the vatal tzoyre to do so. So, coming back to those loaded learning privately in their house, even though it takes them extra time to leave where they are to go to the public shul and possibly to wait there until the until the entire tzibur gather, that is what they should do, even though it results in loss of their Torah learning. Going back to the words of the Shulchan Aruch now, all the more so, all the more so, all other mitzvahs, which are of less weight than Talmud Torah, they're all pushed aside in order to read the Megillah in its ideal manner. And in fact, there is nothing which, push, which pushes aside 
this reading the Megillah in its ideal manner, except for except for a Mez Mitzvah who does not have anybody to bury him. I'll skip for a second the two words of the Ramah. Except for a Mez Mitzvah who does not have anybody to bury him. boy, somebody who finds himself in this situation, sees a Mez Mitzvah lying there with nobody to bury him, then he gives that Mitzvah precedence, he buries him first, and afterwards he reads the Megillah. So even though that's going to result in him reading the Megillah in a non-ideal manner, he's going to miss that big minion in the public shul, and he's going to read it privately afterwards. Nevertheless, that's what he should do. Mate Mitzvah takes precedence over this idea of reading the Megillah in its ideal manner. Now, the wording of the, shul, the, wording of the Shulchan Aruch implies that we are talking about a Mate Mitzvah, a real, real Mate Mitzvah, a classic Mate Mitzvah, there's nobody to bury him, and then you push aside the ideal Kriya Samagillah in order to bury him. There are more ends in two words, if we'll read over that sentence again. She'in loy kovrim, a Mate Mitzvah, who does not have people to bury him, kadei tzorkoi enough to be mechabit him properly. So according to the Ramah, even if the situation is there are people to bury this mace, now, those people have already heard the Megillah or whatever, there's people to bury this mace, you're on the way to your public Megillah reading, you see this person who's got a very small levaya and is not appropriate and not suitable, not getting the covet which he deserves. There too, one would push off the opportunity of fulfilling Kriya Samagillah in its ideal manner in that public setting in order to in order to give this person the covet that he deserves. The Master of the Mishnah brings a number of Akhrainim who side with the Shulchan Aruch's ruling that one should only push off Kriya Megillah for the sake of a real, true Mace Mitzvah. Let's continue with the Now this entire discussion, we're talking about that both of the mitzvahs are going to get done. We're not talking about actually pushing, us, pushing aside completely either of the mitzvahs. Both of the mitzvahs are going to get done. The issue is, the entire issue is whether the Megillah is going to be read in its ideal fashion or not. That's all. But besides for that, everything else is going to be done. Both of the mitzvahs will be done. Whether you do Megillah first, whether you do the other mitzvah first, all the mitzvahs will be done. The only thing that might happen is that the Megillah might not be read in its proper way. If you have a mitzvah that's not going to get done, it is impossible to do both. Then, then the rules change. In Shum Mitzvah Dairaisa, there is no biblical mitzvah, nitzvah, which is pushed aside with name Mikra Megillah because of reading the Megillah. At the end of the day, when push comes to shove, as they say, the Megillah is not a Dairaisa Mitzvah, and other mitzvahs face the Dairaisa Mitzvah. If it's a choice between A or B, then the Dairaisa Mitzvah is done and the Megillah is pushed aside. However, the Mishra mentions a number of Akronim who quite amazingly disagree with this, and they say no. Even if the other mitzvah is going to be pushed aside, the Deraita mitzvah is going to be pushed aside, it's not going to be done. The only mitzvah that's going to get done is the Mikra Megillah. Nevertheless, one reads the Megillah and one pushes aside the Deraita mitzvah. Because this goes into the concept that Chazal have the Kaya to institute that their mitzvahs should be done or their Gezerah should be kept, whatever it is, when it results in pushing aside a Deiraita mitzvah only b'shev va'al not actually actively contravening Torah law, we're just sitting back and non-actively doing something. So we're not going to be able to fulfill mitzvah X, okay, so we didn't do it, but we did, we did, we did the Megillah instead. And likewise, also the same thing applies the other way around, the last line of the Ramah, the Mace mitzvah koidim, also when we said the idea that the Mace mitzvah comes first, that too is only when we have a situation 
where it's possible to read the Megillah afterwards. That too was discussing both of the mitzvahs are going to get done. You've met the Meis Mitzvah on the way, so we said the Meis Mitzvah comes first, and you do the Megillah afterwards. But what we mean is, there's enough time in the day to read the Megillah as well, after dealing with the Meis Mitzvah. But if there's not enough time in the day, then you can do the other way around. Why? Because ultimately, the Meis Mitzvah can still be buried later on. So you'll come back afterwards and you'll bury him. But the Megillah can't be done later on. Nevertheless, the Mishnabura quotes Achreinu who disagree with this and his maskala seems to be that in fact, no. The Meiz Mitzvah is so important that even just the pushing it off for a few hours should not be done. Rather, one should deal with the Meiz Mitzvah and the Megillah indeed will be pushed aside in this case. Okay, we'll stop here. Shkayach. <laughs>